it's con season, go to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. There you can get t-shirts of all different kinds, from our BGN logo to artist-created designs such as Derby Storm, Uhura, and Funky Medusa. So go to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts and order your t-shirt and show off your swag today. This is Van Jones with Yes We Code. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Joel Smith, creator of Afrocentric the Comic, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds. We are the Lucas Pros, and we were just on Black Girl Nerd Podcast, and it's fantastic. And listen to it every every day, every hour, because they are awesome. Hey, everybody. This is Gary Anthony with AKA Uncle Rock. episode 79 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Women in Film, Classy Living, and Orange is the New Black. Three segments. In our first segment, we invite Melody Cooper. Melody Cooper is a producer, director, screenwriter, and playwright, and she sits down on a one-on-one interview with Joelle. She talks about everything from her work in theater, including working with Denai Guerrera in Sweet Mercy, as well as her recent accomplishment as a Shutter Labs fellow at AMC's Filmmaking Lab. So an amazing segment to listen to for all of you filmmakers out there. In our second segment, it's also a one-on-one interview with Tara Gales by Kayla. Tara Gales is a member of the executive leadership team of the organization called Classy Living Society, LLC. Classy Living Society is a membership-driven organization that's committed to providing volunteer services and also being a hands-on community, hosting fundraisers as well as local charities. This organization is committed to helping women and it takes a united stand against sex trafficking and bringing awareness to the importance of community involvement. In our third segment, it's a panel discussion about the Netflix series, Orange is the New Black. Orange is the New Black recently premiered and some interesting takeaways on social media occurred as a result of it. Very polarizing views, many folks liked the season 
and other fans weren't too thrilled with it, and we discuss why. Make sure if you have not seen this past season of Orange is the New Black to pause that segment, watch it, and then come back because there will be spoilers. So that is our show, episode 79, and thanks again for all of your continued support of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hope you get a lot out of this one and enjoy the show. Melody Cooper is a producer, director, screenwriter, and playwright. Her feature screenplay, Monstrous, was third place winner at the 2014 Slam Dance Screenplay Competition. Breaking the Fourth, a sci-fi thriller, was a winner at the Wood Shoal Film Festival. The Devil You Know was finalist for the Creative World Award. And Melody wrote and co-produced the pilot for the black sci-fi web series, The Next Iteration, which launches in 2016. Her sci-fi short, No to Yesterday, was an official selection at the 2015 Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival. And she is the founder of Origins, a group devoted to the creation and support of Black visionary work. Hey guys, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Joelle Monique, and I'm so, so excited because we have Melody Cooper with us. If you don't know Melody, you should get on that. She's worked all over the place, BET, B-Brave, Vile, like just all of the things. I'm so excited. She's producing her own movies and is a playwright and like is stunning, stunning. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Melody. Very happy to be here. So I guess I want to start with how did you get into the arts? Have you always known you wanted to be a playwright? Did you start kind of more in cinema? Where did you get your beginnings? I started out as an actress, so that was, well, actually, I started out with Dance Theater of Harlem. I wanted to be a dancer, so when I was a kid, I studied ballet with Dance Theater of Harlem, and then and then I got into acting, and that's that's what I studied for a long time, and I worked as a professional actress and did a lot of everything from Shakespeare to Nzaki Shange. I really did a whole range of, of different kinds of plays and a lot of downtown theater uh, in New York. Mamba's Daughters with Target Margin won an Obie Award, and I played the title Mamba in that. And we took that to the Spoleto Festival, played in New York as well. And then it was when I was acting, and there weren't that many parts for strong parts for, for black women that I decided to write my own play. That play, The Day of Reckoning, was about... Lucy Parsons, who in the 1800s was a, a labor activist. And I came across her online, started reading about her, and I said, why don't we know about her, this woman? How so come no one's times. written a play? Someone Say, somebody yeah. the other day told me they've never heard of Juneteenth, and I was like, oh, Lord. Right, right. So um, so I wrote this play about, about Lucy and her husband, Albert, who had a very incredible story. The eight-hour day movement for labor was because of them. They moved from Texas to Chicago, dealt with um, everything from the Klan attacking them to to being attacked during the labor rights movement. And the Haymarket uh, riots, right? Haymarket riots, that's exactly right. There, her husband ended up hung, and she was a radical. They were in the newspapers all the time. They were these 
radical celebrities and they've been forgotten. So I kind of revived their story through this this play, Day of Reckoning. So that was my first play and it it um it won several awards, the Jane Chambers Award and a few other awards and was produced in New York and in Miami. And that's that started me on the road to writing. I said, wait, I can write and I can have different productions going on. I can create work for other actors and actresses, especially of color. And uh, and and I've always loved writing. I don't know why it took me so long to come around to it. And uh, and that's how I started writing. (laughs) When you tell people how to be a writer and they look at you like, what? How? That's not a real thing people do. <laughs> Especially, to, I, I feel to be black and female. People are like, will you be like the next Octavia? Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> kind of attitudes come out a lot. And you're just like, I just like this thing. Right, right. And Octavia is my hu- a huge inspiration for me because I was weaned on science fiction as a kid. My dad is a science teacher. And so horror and science fiction is what I grew up on, which was not usual <laughs> for a black kid. Um, but Octavia, I mean, her work should have long been done, long been made as a film or a series. Uh, I presented, um, HBO had me come out and present to them a treatment that I put together for um, of her, you know, of some of her work. Uh, and it's just it. I know Ava is supposedly maybe directing Kindred at some point, yeah. but it is so long overdue. Uh, yeah. And we need to see the story. She's she's such an amazing writer and so intelligent, has a wonderful perspective, and a black woman. And her work needs to be done. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's so great what you're doing in the world of theater. I I originated in theater and. I totally resonate when you say like there's not a lot of great roles for black women. Like as much mm-hmm. as there aren't in TV, as much as there aren't in films, theater is just the dregs of trying yeah. to find anything that it you know isn't diminutive of like who you are. You're like there are so many types of black women. Yes. Why do we have like three? This is very frustrating. Right. Um, Our complexity is is voided altogether. Totally. Absolutely. Um, and you know Hamilton is kind of started this, at least a discussion about it. I'm, I'm leery to say that it's changed the game. They did bring a lot of viewers to the Tonys, which is amazing. But, you know, this is one play. It's We're not sure if, what next season will bring. So I'm still mm-hmm. hesitant to call it. But do you feel optimistic at all about the direction of at least New York theater? Um, I I think with, um, it's funny, because Denai Guerrero was in my, I wrote a play about um, Rwanda, um, called Sweet Mercy that um, the New York Stage and Film developed a few years ago. And Denai played the lead, the Rwandan lead in it. And I think her play Eclipsed is, mm. um, you know, this, it's, as you know, we've been saying, and, and it's been in the news and it should be, it's the first time there have been, the whole creative team is, is women of color. Yeah. You know, so that's, I think that is something that makes a difference. It's not just us being on stage and t- as characters, but that we are behind the scenes, that we're writing the plays, that we're producing the plays, that we're directing the plays. And I think that, for me, stands out more than Hamilton because we generated that from top to bottom. And great reviews and so many nominations, at least from an acting perspective, mm-hmm. um, to see all of these legendary actresses kind of coming together to tell. I had the pleasure of reading the play. I haven't been able to see it yet. Um, mm-hmm. But just stunning like movements of work that I'm really hoping get into the hands of school kids. I know like for speech teams and things, a lot of times these scripts go out to schools and I'm really mm-hmm. hoping we can get those in the hands because man, being in high school and trying to find good work to compete. Right. With, 
That's absolutely right. So challenging. Yeah, I remember I used to do Medea. What else did I used to do? I wanted something needy, and I wanted something that I could do. And it's mm-hmm. like, it, there was not much out there. So, I, you know, I used to take a, a page. I used to read part from um, The Bluest Eye. So yes. I, I created a monologue from The Bluest Eye because that was the best, you know, I could find that wasn't, you know, an old war horse had been done again and again. Yeah. I did the same thing, but with Toni Morrison's Jazz, mm. which is one of my favorite all-time books ever. Uh, so expertly written and people were like this role is old for you and I was like well I'm 16 and she's 40 I get it but look at all the things I get to do right <laughs> all exactly. the stuff I can dive into absolutely so I, I've been having a conversation a lot with some of my theater friends about theater versus film and kind of you know if the theater world needs to be transcribing all their stuff into film or if you should leave these productions strictly on the stage do you have any mm. opinions on that? Do you, you know, are you like the sanctity of the stage is whole, or do you kind of see, you know, um, a reason for bringing some of these theater productions to the living room? Well, the reason is because there's stories that don't often get told, mm. and if they're compelling stories, I mean, because that's what whether it's film or or stage, it's it's the story that and the characters that that make it compelling and worth seeing. But they're, for me, they're very different mediums. And, and I write very visually for the stage. So it, I think my writing translates to the kind of writing I do for film and TV. But I think it's, it, it's a different thing. It's when you're in the live theater, it's um, the way the story is told, the way, you know, the camera draws your eye to what it wants you to look at. The director decides and the editor decides what you're going to see on, in the theater you are much more engaged as, as the audience to choose what you're looking at. Of course, you know, there's, there's blocking and lighting and ways of pulling your eye, but, but I, it's much more, it's interactive and it, it is how I see it. And then it, it's ephemeral, it goes away. And I think that's kind of the beauty of theater. And so I see them as being, being different in ways that I think should be preserved. And, um, and yes, you can take a story from the stage to film and TV, but I, it becomes a different animal. Um, and I would, I would hate to see us do so much of that that people think, well, why even bother with the theater? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I've always appreciated that when you go to the theater, you're seeing a unique performance that won't ever be seen again. Like yeah. Specific to that night and to the mood and the people in that room. And it's always... there's nowhere else you can really get that experience and so hopefully I know the new law just passed in New York about um the ticket bots online and hopefully that will help bring some of the price down because holy holy just trying to get into one of these things like go see regional theater guys it's better than you think like if you live in smaller towns or or not New York cities like there's really great theater around you you just have to go look for it Exactly. You don't have to cut your arm off and sell it to go see good stuff. Right, um, right. Can you tell us about your latest project? Um, yeah, I'm um, I'm directing a film called The Sound of Darkness. It's um, it's I'm directing a short proof of concept based on my feature. This is the screenplay that um, Shutter Labs chose for for the fellowship that I that I just did, and. It's about the 64,000 missing black women and girls in the U.S. who no one pays attention to. So it's about a a blind Afro-Cuban musician and a deaf black American sculptor who are both haunted by a woman only they can see and hear. 
And uh, she leads them into an epic fight against a legacy of racism and evil and uh, in a race to save a missing black girl. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a source unseen and unheard. And it's um, the full feature has a very diverse cast. It's a young cast of Latino, Filipino, black, white, uh, Native American. And uh, the short film I'm, I'm shooting, it's my first film and I'm shooting it in August. And it'll be about about 15 minutes long and I'm using it to enter in festivals and to raise money for the feature. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I for sure want to see this movie. What what inspired this? Like I mean obviously it's a we hear all the time about I mean if you live under the black community umbrella of women <laughs> who talk about these things you hear all the time about these girls that nobody cares about that we're not talking about. It certainly hasn't hit the mainstream. Was that kind of your emphasis for this? Or uh, I was wondering where you kind of started. Yeah, I think it was it was seeing really on, um, and this is my latest screenplay. I was looking, I was on another young woman. I think it was a teenage girl who was, who was missing and people were desperately trying to get mainstream media to pick up the story and trying to get people to pay attention. And it, it was so frustrating and so sad to me. And, and one of the ways that I like to kind of wrestle with difficult topics is to look at them from a different point of view. And I think this, this is a, really a supernatural thriller. And I think it's a, it's a way for us to examine and look at things from a different perspective. And I include African Orishas in this. So there's African spirituality, there's Santeria from the positive aspect about it, because in so many films, all we see is negative. And so I wanted to explore the Afro-Cuban world and African spirituality, which which too often gets shunted into some kind of, you know, weird backwater. I mean, there's so many great stories and so much, so much, so much great information about our past that never makes it to the screen. So I decided it was time to kind of incorporate all of that into the story of, of us fighting for our, ourselves, Heck finding yeah. a way and saving our. I love that because I'm so into, like, witch culture, but I've only ever viewed it from the eyes of, like, the Christian, like, white kind of perspective of witches. And I've slowly been learning about voodoo and uh, different kinds, like, just alternatives to that, magic sources. And there are no stories here in America that really kind of circle around that. So I'm so excited that you've decided to tackle those issues and especially imbue that... uh, kind of science fiction aspect to it because mm-hmm. especially here on BGN we're always talking about a lack of black visuality in uh, science fiction mm-hmm. and so, so many and, of us read it and live off of it so it's, it's frustrating yeah and I think I started a group called um, Origins because for that reason and I call we call it black visionary work because I think of science fiction as being very science based and about the, a lot of times about the future then there's fantasy and then there's also the supernatural horror so instead of breaking it up and trying to figure we um, the group decided to, to call it black visionary work and, and the members are like Tanana Reeve Du who was just nominated for an AACP Image Award. She wrote wonderful books like My Soul to Keep, and she has, um, she has a book out now of short stories that has been nominated for a British Fantasy Award. And we also, Inendi Okorafor, who wrote Who Fears Death, just won a nebula for her novella Bunti. And my, my brother actually is a comic book writer for Marvel. He had worked at Marvel for years, and, and he had his own comic book called Dark Hold. Uh, he wrote for X-Men, he also wrote um, for Starfleet Academy. So we have this group of 
of filmmakers and writers who want to take black visionary work out into TV, film, and web series. Um, and we've all started to do that with deals with different production companies, including Pixar. Um, Stephen Barnes is Tanana Reeves' um, husband, and he is um, a very well-known science fiction writer and has worked on television and has, um, you know, has won awards, many awards. So I, I said, let me just create this group of us helping each other and working together and networking and creating work together. Uh, and it's been wonderful. It's, I'm so happy that so many people are starting to join and, and hopefully we'll, we'll have our own work out there that we've created uh, in addition to all the, the great stuff that's happening for the group. In fact, one of the members, Lucy L.C. Cruel, she was also chosen as a Shutter Labs fellow. Uh, so we both went. With two black women were chosen for the Shutter Labs, which is an AMC Networks filmmaking lab. It was the first one they ever did. And they chose four women, and two of them were black women, and two of them are in the Origins group. So that was a great thing. Wow. That's amazing. It's great to hear people coming together to make things right. And that's kind of how, you know, I feel like being here at BGN and being lucky enough to be surrounded by women who are like, what are you doing? How can I support and uplift the work you're doing? How do we get it out there? Whose hands does this need to be in? Um, mm -hmm. the, the power of the group cannot be denied. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I even reached, I reached out when I got Shutter Labs, I reached out to three women who really inspired me, Cassie Lemons, Ava DuVernay, and Gina Prince-Bythewood. And all three of them reached back and said, congratulations. And, and Cassie Lemons gave me some great, just some great wisdom, just guidance for going into making my first film. And she said, be prepared, but open to improvisation. Listen to collaborators, but follow your heart. And um, so that's going to take me through my first film. And then just, it, I was very heartened that they all reached out and they were all you know, happy to see the success and moving forward and that they want to be supportive because I plan to do the same. I'm hiring mostly women um, and women of color for my crew. And I want to make that opportunity available to, you know, young women. Yes. I love all these women reaching back because like, you know, I don't, I don't want to come down on, on the great Catherine Kennedy, but after <laughs> Star Wars came out, and she was like, yeah, no women called to direct these movies. And I was like, Miss Kennedy, what? you know we're out here. You know we're exactly. working. It's so frustrating to hear other women be like, oh, well, you need to do what I did. What you did was, like, it's admirable. You had to avert your way off. I know it wasn't easy, but wouldn't you like to make it easier on the next generation coming after you? Uh as I, and, in, and even there, there are women who've been toiling, even women who are older women who are in all age groups who've been toiling and working hard. We all have to help each other and, and hire each other and, and give each other opportunity and, and then bring along those who are coming behind us and teach them what we know and what the struggles or the hurdles are. I just think across the board. And then, you know, I extend that out to, you know, just in general to whoever is on, you know, the edge in, in communities where that they don't get a chance to get seen and heard. But right now I'm focused on, you know, black visionary work because that's what I know and that's, you know, where I'm working from now. And and if we can open that up to a larger world eventually and and be more inclusive, that that's the ultimate goal. Uh but but this is uh this is where we're starting from. Bless you. That's amazing. And I know that the people are going to come. If you build it, they will come. I know we're excited about it over here. And, you know, it can only it can only get better from there. I just want to ask you one last question. We have a lot of aspiring 
writers, directors, producers who listen to this podcast, do you have any advice to them in getting started? Yeah, it's funny. I had somebody who, who came into my office yesterday who said, I want to write. I have this idea, but I can't. And I said, yes, you can. You take pen to paper. You go to your laptop. You just start writing. The, the most important thing for you to do is to take your idea. It doesn't matter how good it is on paper. It, doesn't, it really doesn't matter. You just have to start writing, even if it's an outline, even if it's one scene, one line of dialogue. My, my first play, I luckily I had a group um, of, of playwrights I used to get together, and they invited me, and it was my first play, and it was terrible. It was so bad. The first draft, it was a mess, a hot mess. But they... They kept telling me, come back. They gave me critique. They said, keep working on it. And I did. And then I ended up winning awards and having the play produced. It was my first play. So there's there's nothing that you can't do if you just put, I, I believe, and yes, the talent has to be involved to a degree. But if you know that you have stories to tell and you have a passion and you have a story inside you, just write it. That's what I would say. Thank you so much, Melody, for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you. And I would say only one more thing that I wanted to add is um, I'm partnering with the Black and Missing Foundation. I would say to your listeners to please um, go online and and look at the work that they're doing. I'm helping them raise awareness about Black and Missing um, women and men, girls and boys. And um, I'm going to help them raise some funds. And I feature some of the missing on my sites. And they're doing a great a great thing. So I'd like people to, to pay attention to that because that's part of what I'm doing is the mission is to, to make some impact in the real world and, and make some change. That's excellent. Check out Black and Missing, guys. Do your part. Stay vigilant. It's so important. It's scary yeah. out there. Thank you so much again for coming on and for all the great work you're doing. Sure. Um, oh, can you tell fans where they can find you? Yes, they can go to, to www.origins.com films.com it's o-r-i-g-i-n-s films.com and uh, you can find me and the the whole group of uh, writers and filmmakers that I was talking about Tara Gales is a part of the executive leadership team of Classy Living Society LLC Classy Living Society is a membership-driven organization that's committed to providing several services, which includes hosting fundraisers, local charities, and specializing in fun and extraordinary events. They continue their quest as foot soldiers in the community by taking a united stand against sex trafficking and bringing awareness to the importance of community involvement in protecting our youth. Hi, welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla, and I'm really excited to do this interview today. I have with me Tara Gales, and she is on the executive leadership team of Classic Living Society. Hi, Tara. Hi, Kayla. I'm so excited to speak with you about everything that you guys have coming up. So can we get a little bit of background on how you got started with Classic Sure, certainly. So Classy Living Society is a membership-driven organization that was founded in 2013 to provide volunteer services to sort of act as a hands-on community partner in the community. And it's really the brainchild of our founder, LaShonda Pitts, who essentially set out to be the change she wanted to see in the world. And through her efforts, CLS was born. And so what we started to do initially was create a mission that would be a member-based organization dedicated to spreading sort of our call 
to service through civic engagement and to transform lives of women and families throughout our local communities first. Wow. And and how did you become involved with Classy Living Systems? So I got involved because I met LaShonda through a mutual friend. And it's almost like you can, you sort of like take note of people who something is always going on in their head. Mm -hmm. And she was sort of that type of a a woman. And so she had sort of spoken to me about a few things and said she had sort of something that was, that she really wanted to work on. And she was just looking for some dynamic women, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's got a great personality. You have to meet her. And she was just looking for women who might help her on this journey to doing more. You know, we all have our careers and our nine to fives, but as we started to become friends and would have certain conversations about where we wanted to be in the next few years and where we wanted to see our families and our communities and things we wanted to do and the way we wanted to spend our time and quality ways of giving back, it was almost like kindred spirits of sorts. And so she did that with about four or five ladies and we became the founding board members of Classy Living Society. And we affectionately call ourselves CLS. So if you hear me say CLS, it's because we just, we say CLS mostly. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so little by little, we just started to get right out into the community. It's a grassroots effort. And we started volunteering throughout the community and finding ways to give back. And through sort of reaching out to different ladies and getting a sense of what we wanted to do, CLS sort of was born out of that. And we are a woman-based, community-focused, membership-driven organization. We specialize in hosting fundraisers for local charities. We have fabulous and fun events for all of our members. It's our vision to become sort of the premier social organization that serves the needs of our community as foot soldiers for nonprofit organizations. So volunteering is at the core of or the heart, as we say, of all that we do. And so most important to us is that we go out into the community and we volunteer and we provide these opportunities to our members. So they're not having to look for ways that they can get involved in the community. We bring those to them. And it's been a quite exciting journey. Right now we say CLS, you know, turned two recently and she's a toddler now. So she's getting her legs, you know. And so we've been able to go throughout the community over the last two and a half, almost three years and partner with different organizations. We've hosted fundraisers for a lot of nonprofits. We've donated to great causes. I don't know if you're familiar with Heifer International, but we raised $500 within our membership during the first year to purchase a heifer for a deserving family in a developing country. We have partnered with organizations such as Cheerful Givers, and we have collected over 250 gift bags to send to children who otherwise would not be recognized on their birthday and receive a birthday gift. We host a annual Red Dress Gala, and that's our premier event of the year. And through our Red Dress Gala, we spotlight a charity or a nonprofit organization that's doing amazing work in the community, but may not otherwise be shouted out, you know, through other means. And we host this gala and raise money to give to that organization so that they continue doing the great work that they do in the community. So, you know, ultimately, we really consider ourselves as foot soldiers. We're just dedicated 
to spreading our calls to service, you know, one life at a time. We focus on giving back to women. We look into mentoring young girls and those who otherwise in our community would be overlooked, neglected, or an afterthought. And so that's what's taking us to New Orleans. And we're going to NOLA, hashtag get on the bus, mm-hmm. on uh, June 24th through the 26th. And this bus trip, while essentially there'll be 50 women on a road trip to New Orleans and all the fun things you can do there, but we do everything with service in mind. And so we're partnering with an organization called Eden House. And Eden House is an organization that works to stop human and sex trafficking. And so what we're going to do is we are going to ask all of our members and our friends and family to donate love kits. I'm going to take love kits to all of the young girls and women who are survivors of human and sex trafficking and, you know, help them to raise their spirits by offering them journals and toiletries and, you know, keepsakes and inspirational things that we can offer them to help them on their journey. And we'll have a balloon release while we're in New Orleans with the organization and just let them know that CLS is there with them every step of the way on their journey. And we are also in the fight to end human and sex trafficking throughout the country. In April of 2017, we'll travel to California and partner with the Women's Expo in the Inland Empire, Temecula, San Diego area, and do some work there with human and sex trafficking victims as well. So we 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 do quite a bit in the local community, but we're also on a mission to go global. We want to reach women everywhere. One of the tenets of CLS is sisterhood bonding. Yes. This initiative is one where we plan to expand into as many of the the 50 states, if not all of the 50 states within the coming years. And right now, CLS is currently in Georgia, Tennessee, and California. And so we're going to have our big California launch, so to speak, next year during the, the Women's Expo, where we work with victims of sex trafficking there as well. Also, what we have in the past we've worked on is we've had certain workshops and seminars dedicated towards women entrepreneurs. And we have to that end CLS in the city where we go out into the local, we support local businesses by offering CLS members discounts. And we come in and we support the business. And we also have a lot of members who are entrepreneurs and have storefronts as well as online businesses. So we also want to encourage women who are entrepreneurs and help them to expand their business and bring our members into the fold in that way that we can support them. We've also had a Women in History celebration earlier this year where we worked with young girls from different teen organizations throughout the Atlanta area. And we held a Women in History event where we did a living museum. And each of the young ladies represented a woman in civil and human rights or education, politics, from fashion, sports, science, philanthropy. And they sort of became that woman. It was great to watch young girls between the ages of 13 and 17 and 18 really embody women such as Sojourner Truth and women in in, in the culinary arts and models such as Iman and uh, civil rights activist Shirley Chisholm and politicians such as Barbara Jordan. And it, it was just a great offering for the young girls, but also for us to sort of 
have that legacy carry on. One of the other things that we are working on is adopting a highway. CLS has an initiative, what we're calling CLS Cares. And CLS Cares is our new Go Green initiative, whereby we will promote sustainability, eco-friendly trips and opportunities to conserve and ride share to all of the CLS events. And that leads me to another of CLS's many sort of what we do. And one of those things that we love to do is while we're having our charity partnerships and sisterhood bonding and seminars and workshops. We also like to have what we call our fabulous events because we're not classy living society for nothing. (laughs) And so it's one of those things where our founder has a events planning company in addition to running CLS and she puts on some of the most fabulous events that I've ever seen. And our events planning team. They are just so creative and innovative. And so we have these themes that are just otherworldly oftentimes. And so it's just a great way to sort of connect, stay grounded in our mission, our vision, and our goals, and also give back to our community through being innovators and volunteerism as we strive to make a positive, lasting impact on those we serve with our time, talents, and our compassion. So let's see a lesson in a nutshell, I think. We feel really empowered after all of that. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, and we're just really excited. We're excited to take our message from the streets and sort of deliver that to everyone. So we're we're truly humbled and excited for this opportunity to speak with Black Girl Nerds because we've seen what you all do in the community. We see how you sort of giving that lens to those girls who might otherwise be looked at as different or weird and shine a light, a positive light to say, hey, I'm proud to be a nerd. And it's just an awesome way that women together collectively can work together for doing all the different avenues where we can shine. I just find that that's another layer of what CLS is looking to do through mentorship and working. We working with young girls and mentoring young girls through different programs such as Pink STEM, where we're going to work through helping girls with STEM careers and science, technology, engineering, and math. So yeah, we'd love to have Pink STEM and and CLS work with Black Girl Nerds on some some opportunities in the future. Sounds great. That sounds amazing. I, I know we would love to do that. I, I love having such positive Black women around. And it's to show people we're not all loving hip-hop. <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. we don't all fight each other. We all exactly. see each other do really well. So I, exactly. I that's, that's a big thing. And I, I love that we're able to give organizations like CLS visibility just so people do know that you all are out there to that. How can people get involved and where can we find all the information that we need? Yeah. So for more information, please um, have your listeners visit our website at cls-volunteer.org. We're also everywhere on social media. You can connect with us via Twitter at cls underscore volunteer. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash classy living society. And the same for Instagram, Google plus and YouTube classy living society. And so, yeah, we, we invite all women to check us out, see what we see, what we're about, come out and volunteer 
Another thing that we do, if you have friends and family and they're looking to go out and volunteer, call us. We'll put it together for you. We can add you to any event or opportunity that we have already on the calendar. We also plan volunteer opportunities for small companies and other nonprofit organizations. You know, oftentimes people just don't have the time to do it themselves, but it's something that we are becoming pros at doing. And so we're looking to help other organizations put on their volunteer opportunities as well. Oh, that's amazing. And so they'll be able to follow all the pictures and information. Yeah, they can follow. Absolutely. Um, We will have some live, some live reporting on our trip to NOLA. So hashtag NOLA, hashtag get on the bus, hashtag CLS. And what we want to do is we want to encourage women, especially those who follow us through social media, to see all of the different ways you can go out and help with, you know, minimal effort. I mean, we all plan our girl trips, right? We all have a girlfriend. We get together road trip or we fly somewhere. But you can also take a couple hours out of your day to reach out to a nonprofit organization and they'd be more than happy to let you help them in any way that you can. Because, you know, these small charities, especially, they appreciate any gesture. And it just takes a little bit of your time. And then you can still have your opportunity to turn up and, you know, enjoy the sights, the sounds and the culture of a place such as New Orleans, which is what we plan to do this weekend. Thank you so much for No, thank you. This has been great. This has been really great. In our final segment, we have a panel discussion about the Netflix series, Orange is the New Black. Orange is the New Black is Netflix's most watched original series, which premiered back on July 11th of 2013. This past season was its fourth season, which premiered on June 17th. The show has received critical acclaim and many accolades for its season and has garnered 12 Primetime Emmy Award nominations, including Outstanding Comedy Series, Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series, Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series, and winning three out of those awards. In the panel discussion, we feature Kayla, Karan, Tora, and special guest, Ashley, the founder and creator of Graveyard Shift Sisters. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thanks for tuning in. This past weekend, the premiere of the Netflix show Orange is the New Black had premiered and dropped. Many of us binge watched it. Many of us are still watching it. And we want to talk about the season, season four, what we liked, what we didn't like. And I am glad to have a panel of women to discuss it. I have Karan, Tora, Kayla, and Ashley from Graveyard Shift Sisters. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And before you continue to tune in further, just be aware that spoilers will be dropped during this discussion. So if you've not completed the season, please do before proceeding any further. All right. So I'm going to start with this question for all of you. And we'll start with Tora, Ashley, Kayla, and Karan. What was the best storyline for you this season and what was the worst oh okay so definitely the best storyline for me this season was um lolly's storyline the um development of kind of you know the mental health issues um Mm -hmm. and you know the stigma of that and 
health issues being placed into um, the criminal system. And, you know, because Lolly, the way, the way they showed it to me, um, it seemed like she was pretty much functioning. She was just kind of like this transient functioning, you know, little little hobo. And then the area that she was in kind of got built up into this wealthier place and she kind of just got arrested for looking homeless in you know a nicer area now and then her the continuing of her well the diminishing of her mental health and all of that and then Healy's connecting her with his mom issues all of that was kind of eye-opening for me because you know talking about mental health is something that we don't do enough in this country as it is so I really appreciated that um but the worst storyline for me this season was um Black Cindy and Allison um turning their shared space into like the slapstick holy war sort of thing and it was just very I rolled my eyes through every little interaction that they had all uh, all of it like I just was disgusted with it because it was just so <sighs> tiring I think for me uh I even though it felt felt very underdeveloped, I really liked Maria's storyline and how we got to see a little bit of her backstory. Um, I, I think because of Piper, which you know, I think a lot of us are going to agree, maybe, maybe not, is this we can blame everything on Piper. Um, the the fact that she got a, additional time really, it, it, it she had a, a slightly a slight bit of a dark turn, but I I just I don't know. I've always been I've always rooted for her because you know she came in. It's the first season she was pregnant and then you know that i will never that that frame of her coming back after she had her baby had her daughter it really just stuck with me because that sense of loss i still feel it and i think she still carries that weight with her and i just i, I want i want the best for her but you know clearly they're going to give her a little bit of drama and i really kind of want to see her flourish in a more positive way so i think that's so I, I i liked following her story throughout and i and i understand why she you know made the decisions she has throughout the season uh the worst storyline i'm a little conflicted um i feel really bad for i believe tiffany pencil tucky is what they call her i think her, oh, yeah. her name is tiffany mm -hmm. uh I, I understand her stance on forgiveness but I still think that guy's a piece of crap and I think she should really for her for her own health should keep her distance and I think it's really sad and unfortunate that you know we've seen her kind of grow up in an environment where she was pretty much taught that you know to accept these vile behaviors from men and she's mm -hmm. and you know and how she's kind of unlearning how you know to have more you know you, no you shouldn't no you don't have to take this and she's learning that from a uh, boo you know i think she's still kind of even conflicted within herself um i i think it's the worst for me because it's just no don't do that to yourself tiffany stop so i don't want to see her i don't want to see them be all buddy buddy in the future like no no that's unacceptable to me Totally agree. Yeah. Um, can I just say that I didn't understand why the writers felt that that needed to happen. I didn't understand mm -hmm. why Pensatucky needed to forgive him and why they needed to humanize the rapist. Like, I, it felt traumatic. I, <laughs> I didn't get it at all. And it was, I just, I had to walk away for a couple minutes because it was just a bit much. Like, as a survivor, I was just like, Nope. <laughs> so, mm -mm. 
I think for me, the best storyline, and I'm going to be partial because I am Dominican, was Maria's storyline. Um, more so because a lot of people, if you're not part of the Latin community, you don't know that Dominicans are demonized and they get a lot of shit from other people, especially Puerto Ricans, because there's just that thing of where Puerto Ricans are basically U.S. citizens and Dominicans are not. So there is that little bit of we're a little bit better. So that that scene um, where Daya and Aleda go dumb in a can, I, I was mad, but I was like, they kind of captured that really well. Um, and we'll talk about that picture later because I was like, I don't even know how they knew about that because they're not Dominican, but okay. Um, I felt her story because a lot of Dominicans are really demonized. Um, so I was excited to have that storyline put out there for people to know exactly what goes on. Um, I, I didn't like, I loved the storyline. I was really, woo, like happy. But then towards the end and the whole thing that happened with Piper, they got demonized even more. So I was like, they brought them in, gave them this feeling of power, and then that happened. I didn't like that. Um, and I loved that Blanca got more this season. I love her so much. And her one <laughs> thing, when she was plucking her eyebrows and said, what, I'm a mammal? I lost it. I was like, yes. But I I hated the Judy King storyline. I know we're going to talk about it later. Um, and I hated, I have grown to love, and that made me mad, I've grown to love Yoga Jones over the past three seasons and then for her to get involved um, and then to put her into this situation, I was pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. did not sit well with me because she has been that calming voice of reason and for her to get pulled into that storyline I was not screw I, I know everybody else was excited that Judy King was in there I was not because it was it just out of character it oh. just was not it did the threesome I did not like I didn't understand yeah, that yeah that, that was just <laughs> Like, everyone, like I think, worst too, threesome ever. Yeah, and I think everyone has, like, this love-hate relationship for Luzchek because he's such a lost soul in the wrong job. Um, and that another storyline I hated was um, uh, Nichols. Yeah. I was so angry. Oh, yeah. my, heart, my heart just hurts. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, um, Natasha Leone is... Um, has been in recovery. Uh, recovery for a very long time. Mm-hmm. She, as far as she has, is from her having to have open heart because of drug usage. So for them to put her in that situation to bring up so many demons, I didn't like that. So mm-hmm. um, there are so many problems. It just, it, I, it hurt my heart to watch that um, because she had done so well. And it's like, why do you take these women down that are doing really well? Mm-hmm. They get to this point where they're, she was about to come out and go back uphill and you do that. I I was not happy. Okay. So Healy hates women. I thought that that was an interesting storyline to see how he became such a misogynist and how rejection throughout his life turned him into um, the crackpot that he is. Um, I also really felt like the story of him feeling like he was a healer no, and, and discovering that he wasn't equipped. He actually did the wrong thing and took the wrong cues 
and was not equipped to handle um, the psychiatric or psychological needs of uh, of Lottie, L- Lollipop, and um, and admitted himself into the hospital. I thought that was um, a very strong line that could have been made stronger because he was a man about him seeking out care for himself. I thought that should have been much stronger, much more prominent. Um, I felt like this was like Black Lives Matter light season, which I hated. I just, I hated it. Um, I hate everything about Piper. I mean, I just, I just think she's overused. I'm I'm underwhelmed and I just, I'm over it. Um, The rape story infuriated me. It absolutely fucking infuriated me. Mm -hmm. I hated the fact that they made Pensatucky apologize for her own rape. I hated the fact that when she thought that he was abusing another woman, that she said nothing. So in a discovery of that, she's learned nothing. But the fact that they would take something as important to our culture as rape and rape culture, especially in confined spaces with people with no power, like the poor and like women mm-hmm. and make him the victim. That fucked my head. I'm sorry. I, I don't cuss. That, that, yeah, that, this is first that for you. fucked my head up. <laughs> yeah. It fucked my head up because I want to know who the hell thought that was going to be productive. That's why I'm glad that they brought in Big Boo to like level with her and say, this is not right. He's a rapist. And then having her come after him for his you know, actions and his accountability, because otherwise it did come off as if, OK, well, this is all right. This is acceptable. This is something that she should forgive him for. You raped me. Yeah. But I still love you. No, fuck that. That's yeah. called Stockholm syndrome. Bring mm-hmm. that out. Talk right. about that. Right. Talk about the fact that she was that she fell in love with someone who was abusing his power over her. Oh Talk God. about the fact that she was already screwed up from the time we met her. Mm-hmm. And that she never, ever, she, oh, what burns me up about Pensatucky, they never gave her a chance to heal. Ever. They didn't. No. But they, but they give Piper everything. I can't stand that child. Anyway, um, I just felt like this entire season was a parade of the pain of black and brown women for white women's amusement. Mm. Oh, sums say that. That sums it up just about perfectly. Um, I I agree with all of you. It's really, I'm very hard pressed to think of what I liked about this season. There really wasn't anything that stuck out. I think the only storyline that piqued my interest was Blanca's storyline because we didn't mm-hmm. really get much information on her character in the earlier seasons um, and to just see her do her you know peaceful protests and just not give a damn and and holding it down I just I loved that and um, be willing to stink <laughs> and yeah and mm-hmm. willing to stink <laughs> and 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 just be unapologetic in who she is and 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 what she stands for so that was empowering to see um, that moment with with Blanca but other than that, I just didn't like anything about this season. The rape storyline was terrible. It felt like Luke and Laura all over again. Oh my mm. god! You know, I mean, this is this is a trope that has gone on for years, and in the '80s, there was a lot of that. 
And to see this happening now, I just, wow, I feel like we've relegated backwards. I really don't like Judy King's storyline. I don't know what, I think they're trying to pay like some sort of homage to uh, Martha Stewart by bringing her in. And I'm just like, "Eh." I get it. She's supposed to be Martha Stewart. (laughs) But do we really need that? Like, it just to me was ridiculous to, to see her. Um, and, and then I just really, the whole, well, we'll, we'll get into it more, but I just was really disappointed that it seemed like they were setting up these really great relationships between, um, the black characters and their counterparts between Suzanne's relationship with her girlfriend and then mm-hmm. Pousset's relationship with her girlfriend and then just literally destroyed them in half. And yep. I, I don't know what that was about. So that was very disconcerting to me to, to see all of this great buildup from previous season and then for them to be destroyed by the end of the season. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's what I didn't like and definitely more than what I actually did like. So my next question here for you guys or talking point is the new character of Judy King brought in this season what what were your thoughts about her story arc and her character development as a whole Mm. Uh, well i didn't really understand the point other than to show us that you know the criminal system is unfair and that celebrities or or white people with money or get privileges, but we've seen that with Piper since the beginning. So right. I don't know right. why they needed Judy King to do this. Um, the only purpose she served for me was making me her. The only purpose that her arc served for me was making me dislike someone that I had kind of grown to love, which was yoga Jones. Um, that yeah. whole, that whole like, thing that yoga jones had going on this whole tr- struggling with her being able to accept being in this space and accepting more than what she felt she was deserved and all of this her inner struggle and i i just didn't feel like i think someone said it, i didn't feel like it was true to the character that they'd painted before like I, it felt like someone else um, um that they were writing as yoga jones i, I didn't really get it and then she was all I just didn't I, di- I didn't understand the purpose of it. Um, I was even more annoyed when they did the whole black Cindy relationship thing. It just all of it was a bit much. And then them trying to take the photo of her and them being like, how did this get out? But there had just been pictures of her out in a magazine earlier. Like, what? so y'all upset about this now? But there were just pictures that like it was it was all ridiculous and pointless to me and they could have spent more time on other people's issues to be quite honest it also felt like it she was playing the uh what is that other woman's name paula dean yeah uh, yeah, trope trope as well and yeah i am i'm pretty much with uh with with you i i it's she (sighs) I I have grown to kind of loathe this lazy screenwriting ripped from the headlines things that a lot of writers are starting to do, especially I've noticed it a lot with primetime television um, on networks. And it's really a turnoff for me. I'm just like, so you can't come up with something a little bit more creative. And it's just an issue I've just I've, I've had with 
um, certain television writing for quite a few years now. Uh, and so I, I, again, I'm kind of with, you know, you, I, I just don't understand what purpose she really served. I mean, even at the end with Poussey, I mean, Poussey could have found another kind of, you know, uh, an, another, uh, the branch of light down the tunnel of her, you know, getting out of prison and doing so- and going on to doing something, you know, that would benefit her in the future. And I just, I, I, I'm, I'm over. I was, I was over Judy when she first got there. Seriously. <laughs> Martha Stewart went to jail so long ago, so I didn't understand. I didn't understand why the hell we were talking about it now. Like this is 2016. <laughs> why the hell are we talking about this now? Um, and I, and I get what you're saying. The only show that does really well with taking a headline and making sure it's in the next season and actually does the story justice is Law and Order SVU. SVU. Yeah. <laughs> they are the only one. They've already been <laughs> Ashley has issues with that. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there are certain ones I think that they shouldn't touch, and they do do some, and I'm like, eh. But I am... Um, it was an unnecessary thing. It made me hate yoga jones and i did not want to get to the point where i did not like her because she was like tori said she had an internal conflict of as to why she was already in that prison anyway um she was trying to find peace within herself and make sure that those prisoners could find peace within themselves and give them a little bit of light um in a place that's just so oppressive so to take her light from her pissed me off um and Judy, I, I, the only thing I will say that I liked about the Judy King storyline is that she didn't put up with the bullshit that came from Healy. Everyone else just kind of lets him be this mm-hmm. asshole, and she was like, I don't like you, so I'm going to go above your head to your, and I mean, no black person was going to be able to do that. They weren't going to write that storyline. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I, at least, I at least appreciate that they gave it to her, that she's not going to put up with the bullshit that comes from him, because Unfortunately, I'm not sympathetic to Healy. Um, Neither I'm am just I. Not nope. have no sympathy for it. Um, and mental health is a huge part of this show, especially with Suzanne Cucudio, and I love Lolly, um, but I have no sympathy for him. So that's the only thing I can take away from her storyline that I did like um, was. Because he does that, you know how like when he did it to the the black CEO um, last season. Oh yeah. Season. yeah. He didn't put up with her. Oh, she got an improv troupe and this, he couldn't stand her. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. she, you know, he he just I've never felt sympathetic toward him. He makes me sick. Um, yeah, one of those forced it down our throats to try to empathize with him yeah. with his storyline between his mom and just like why. All it did really for me was explain. Like it did, I didn't feel sorry for him at all. I was just like, oh, this explains why he's a pile of shit. Like, because he's had this <laughs> continuing pattern where he feels like he needs to help someone. He thinks, oh, a wounded bird, let me, let me heal this. And then because he's terrible at his job and he's a control freak, he fucks it up and isn't good at it. Like that, it, literally the cycle continues with every new person that that he finds and tries to fix and when i saw them showing his mom and that i was just like oh well now i know why and i felt nothing (laughs) i want to i want to make something clear i don't sympathize with healy i hate healy 
Mm-hmm. I just thought it was really interesting um, because the reason Healy hates women is the reason why we have massage Negroes in the first place. <laughs> yeah. I thought the the story could have been powerful, but I don't like Healy. Healy has never been likable. And I feel like they're so lukewarm with him. It's like, if you're going to make him a villain, make him a villain. If you're going to make him a, a wuss, make him a wuss. But don't make him part was part villain. They're, it doesn't ma- work. They're yeah. trying to make him nuanced. <laughs> they're yeah, trying to he, make the people that, that are yeah. They're trying to make the characters that really don't deserve nuance um, yep. To, yep. to be that, and it's very discouraging because then what was it? The previous season he had kind of a little relationship thing going with Red, and it's just like yeah. why we? I don't care about your who you sleep with. I don't care you know how you grew up and who your mom was and how you were raised. I don't care about you. Like I, I want to focus on the other I don't inmates. Right. On I just and and why can't we get any interesting COs? Because these, well, let me let me say this, and then I'll get on the uh, little Miss Martha Still, whatever her name is, with a tired self. Um, right. I hate the way they characterize veterans in this season. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. because I'm a veteran. I'm a proud veteran, and I think the biggest issue that we have is the the idea that we are all so damaged that we can't think that we are so um screwed up in our heads because of what we've seen and the jobs that we've done that we can't recognize humanity and there was not one person on that staff who had a shred of humanity this season nobody nobody Nobody, not even the kid that was supposed to be the nice kid that they made out to be the victim after he killed Poussey. It's like, come, man, really? Nope, I have but, no but sympathy towards all, him at all. They for were him. all supposed Mm-mm. to be veterans, and I resent that. I resent that from the very bottom of my soul. I resent that mm-hmm. because they are people that I've stood with on the front lines. They're people that I've stood with in the darkest times in this country, in the yeah. worst times that can function better than those fools with a job. When you think about it, all of the CEOs are terrible people. Even the one that seemed like he was halfway decent, Bennett. Yeah. Like he, he turned all- out he turned out to be an asshole. You yeah. know? <laughs> he left Daya. So I just you know, yeah. All I don't like any of the CEOs on that show. And then what what was her what was her name? The uh the the Hattie Twitty Twitty Fruity Fruity one the one one rich woman, what was her name? Judy King. Judy King. Okay, Judy King. Um yeah, just no. Yeah. Just no. Just no. <laughs> just no. <laughs> so, um, oh, did everybody comment on Judy King? So I wanted to move on really quick. Um, the fight between Suzanne and Kadikio, I think is pronounced. What, what was your takeaway? Kakudio. 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 Like Susudio? Susudio? That's right. Just like they made that reference. Yeah. Um, uh, what what were your thoughts about that fight scene? Yeah, I have questions about that. Do do you guys have any thoughts? Um, I don't know what they did with Kakudio anyway. Like, I don't what what 
Right. Like you said earlier, (laughs) I I was hoping for this cute little weird romance between Suzanne and Kukudio. And then they just turned her character into like this. And they, okay, if it was a mental health thing, because that's what it seemed like in the woods, they could have expounded on that. They could have explained some of that. But no, they just created like this creepy villain with no explanation for why she was the way she was and then it it just it didn't add up for me and then her wanting to physically hurt um suzanne didn't make sense to me either it didn't it was so out of character yeah she's been like she's been like this meek little hiding and sending her gifts and you know what i mean weird gifts granted but for her to turn from that to wanting to fight her didn't make any sense for me at all, especially None. considering um, even the even when she they were in like the little closet and she like um, I think she was like fingering her or something and then she stopped and and was like oh this is to pay you back right. even for me was like okay well that's some weird thinking but it wasn't violent. No, you know, none of it seemed violent to me, so I just didn't understand, and it didn't, it didn't connect for me. Um, and I, had they had they actually gone back and showed her storyline to some degree, then maybe we can get some kind of clues yeah. into her history right. and what exactly. it, maybe she has a propensity for violence, and we just don't know it. But they didn't do that, so it leaves all of us confused as to what her motives were here. I. I just thought that that was a terrible way to split them apart because obviously there's no coming back after she nearly yeah. beat you know her to a pulp. But um, I, I I thought it was a very disturbing scene to watch and it was completely unnecessary and it felt yeah. very gratuitous. I understand they wanted to show and I forgot the CEO's name that initiated the fight, but I know they wanted to show his evil side and and really be able to amplify how terrible this man is and and how disturbed he is but to use that as a means to illustrate it i just thought they missed the mark on it they already did that though when he had maritza eat the damn mouse Mm -hmm. that was so freaky and creepy as hell like what that that was another thing that i just did that seem like really far-fetched like the logic just wasn't there just seemed like well, it's another form of rape. Like, like mm-hmm. Karan yeah. said, it it angered me also with the portrayal of veterans because it was this whole. Well, clearly he's sick in the head because he's seen some stuff. So mm. this is, and I was just like, okay, well, I don't. <laughs> that's not really. He's really just gathering flies and a baby rat the next day so that he can make her eat them. That doesn't. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> I guess, y'all. I guess. (laughs) Mm. All right. So let's move on. I just want the writers to just bite me. Just bite me. Because this this season sucked. We're going to get to the writers in a second. It sucked for so many reasons. It's so... Woo! Okay. Breathe, breathe. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about one of the most uh, disturbing and disappointing parts of the entire season the death of Pusey Washington I'll, I'll just start I don't understand what message they were trying to send if if they wanted to teach everybody a lesson about the Black Lives Matter movement we didn't need that we really didn't um, and I 
clearly saw signs that they were alluding to that between the way she was killed, Eric Garner style, probably mm-hmm. Freddie Gray style, uh, to leaving her body on the ground in episode 13 for several hours, Mike mm-hmm. Brown style, to Black Cent, or was it Tasty that had mentioned uh, that Caputo didn't even say her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To Sandra Bland. So, yes, okay, we get it. Black Lives Matter, you're trying to, again, rip from the headlines of many black people um, being killed by law enforcement. But I didn't need to see it in this storyline. And, you know, Poussey for me is, she's one of my favorite characters next to Suzanne. It's so discouraging that we finally get a character that we just don't see on television. We have someone who is quirky, who is funny, black, female, queer. She is not like the other black female inmates in the fact that she's, you know, she speaks three languages. She's very articulate. She was going to go to West Point. Um, She breaks a lot of those racial stereotypes of what an inmate is supposed to be. And I really appreciated that. And to remove that from the show, to completely erase it, was just so... It made me angry because it's just like, I, why are you taking away the one thing that I never see? And now it's just like, it's it's back to the drawing board. And and, and another thing about um, Poussey's character is, you know, you see this trope of the sassy black woman. Like, that's all white writers seem to know about oh, black Lord. women. Uh-huh. And Black Cindy is very sassy and Tasty is very sassy. Um, but Poussey never really was that. And I, yeah. that was like a breath of fresh air for me because <laughs> I, I hate seeing that like that. You know, there's more to us as black women than just being that trope. And n- now now we, we won't get to see that. So I don't know what the circumstances was surrounding Samara Wiley leaving the show. But I think, you know, as someone mentioned, there could have been a better way to allow her to exit uh, you know, let her leave out of, you know, be released from prison. That would be a first. Um, well, well, her girlfriend wrote that episode. And, and I, yeah, the one I, that she died. Her girlfriend wrote that episode. Uh, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I did not it know is. that. I did not know yeah. that. Her, her girlfriend wrote the episode. It was supposed to be a direct. It was there were supposed to be direct references to the death of Mike Brown. Um, not Freddie Gray. Ironically, you know, the Freddie Gray news came out today. Another officer was released, but. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be a direct correlation to um, the suffocation death, the asphyxiation death of Mike Brown. And of, her girlfriend of Eric, wrote that episode. Of Eric Garner. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, okay, Eric Garner. Eric Garner. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I mean, I, and I don't know what the politics are between being a writer on the show and, and dating a writer on the show. I don't know if, you know, Samir and her had, you know, pillow talk and it was like, okay, let's just do this scene. Like, I don't know how that works, but... I just felt like that was completely unnecessary and it disappointed so many of us fans. There's actually campaigns right now on Twitter um, talking about getting her back on the show and how they've just completely erased relationships between black queer characters, Mm. which I think is so important to so many viewers. So yeah, let me get your thoughts on this. Um, Okay. So as you said, I, as an awkward, um, often, a black girl who's seen as, you know, on the margins of what people expect blackness or black femininity to be sometimes um, 
to see that character killed off in that manner, especially a queer one, because I am queer, was just so it hurt, quite honestly. And it was also interesting for me that the the character, the black character that was seen as the least threatening, the most educated, most intelligent one, was the one that was killed off in order for them to teach about Black Lives Matter, that they needed this respectable black girl to die mm. for white America to see Ooh. her humanity. You get what I'm saying? It couldn't have been one of the, it couldn't have been black Cindy because, you know, then they wouldn't care as much. You know what I mean? It couldn't, yeah. it couldn't be the, the hood black girl with the, with the smart mouth and the one that they felt deserved to be there in jail in the first place. It was a black girl with the drug sentence who was going places that, that, you know, that they needed to kill off because, that way you can really see, you know, black lives do matter because look at this one. So that was just very, I just had a very visceral reaction to that to, because that's, that's always what happens. I mean, talking about stuff like this at work, talking about the black lives matter movement, whenever you mention, especially with like Freddie Gray, um, whenever you mention someone, if they have any sort of criminal past, any sort of mugshot that happened before that it's, well, they were, they were a criminal. Well, the cops were just doing their job. So it it was interesting to me that they felt that they needed to do that with this particular character. That's all. Wow. I got nothing after that. I mean, you you summed it up very beautifully and articulately. I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I'm just really woefully disappointed and saddened that you know with everything you just said to her I, I absolutely right and just the the after effect of it having on me as you know moving ahead and thinking about the future of the show I'm just bravo you made really good points <laughs> I have nothing thank you I'm about to cry again you guys I cried for the full next episode after after like I it was too much <laughs> You never, I don't get hype or anything during watching a show. Um, I was, I remember watching it and I had to finish because I knew I wanted to recap the show for the site and I was about to go get ready to go out and jump in the shower and that scene was happening um, and I just started jumping up and down. I'm like, no. And I started crying and I got so angry, I just turned the TV off. Um... Because, and I don't want to get choked up, but to have someone, I, I am, and you guys know, I am that military child. You know, you, you follow the rules, you listen to your dad, you get to go to these amazing places, meet these amazing people, and um, and for her to to go out like that, um, it, I didn't know how to respond to it. Um, and I'm so sick of, um, our stories as black women being told through the lens of a white person mm -hmm. and us, I think we're supposed to be okay with it. Um, cause it wasn't necessary. Um, she had such, she was the light, the pe the, the person you loved to see on the show. And after everything she went through, during the season when V was there, for her to go out like that, mm, yeah. 
pissed me off because she was that voice of reason like we don't have to listen to V why the hell are y'all doing this and the relationship between her and um, Soso it's gone right and I feel like Soso had so much more to learn from her. The only thing I do appreciate is that Soso had that moment of where she assumed these things about um, Pusey and they had to learn those whole things of jumping into things um, without knowing the other person. And she's not going to get that. Um, So, and we're not, we're never going to have closure as fans of the show with that. It it pissed me off because we're the thought of we're supposed to be okay with it. The after effects of everything. The only thing I can say is seeing her last night um, out with all the people that she met. She was just such a light, and you took that from the show. So what the hell do we have left? Piper? Fuck Piper. Oh no. <laughs> it's amazing so, how the lead character of the show is the least compelling character and the least likable like, character. Oh my god. Adventures in white mediocrity. Yeah. She's <laughs> Abigail Fisher. With the bad grades. Yep, she's Abigail <laughs> Fisher all over. Yep. <laughs> the poster oh, okay, of white so, mediocrity. <laughs> so, um, she's friends with mediocrity. Um, you know, it was it was cited in the interview I read that, that said that the person who died it had to be someone that everybody liked. It had to be somebody that everybody was endeared to, that everybody loved. You know, Samira Wiley was the smile in the prison. She was the smile of OINTB. Right. And she was the one who is more like us black girl nerds than anybody else in that prison. Yep. And they are more of us than they are of them. Um, like, she could hang with us. She could really, she could hang with us. She could have a conversation that goes from the outhouse to the White House and still be comfortable, regardless of who walked up to her. She had genuine love for people. And the only time her life came into full view was when she corrected a white woman calling her mother a crack whore from a story that was told by her non-black girlfriend. You know, so-so was okay, but she really became so-so's mother. She wasn't her lover. She was her mother. You know, mm-hmm. so when you say that that Soso has nobody else to learn from, you're absolutely right because we didn't see that part of her humanity. We didn't see her nurturing self. We didn't see how she cared for everybody around her. She cared for Tasty in the same way when she fell in love with Tasty. When they were best friends, she took care of her people, but nobody stood for her. Nobody stood for her. I was angry because of the way she died. Because she died without a voice. And out of anybody in that prison, she had the capacity to be the strongest voice in that story. Because regardless of what anybody said about her or did to her, she was consistent in character. Her character at the base was consistent. She wasn't afraid to show pain. She wasn't afraid to show sadness. She was not afraid afraid to smile in the face of danger. The girl was as big as a pin needle, but she stood up. She was fearless. I loved Samira Wiley. Girl, 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 I love you, Samira Wiley. I do. But this whole thing about her being grateful, they chose her to play this role and to see it through and all this. Okay, girl. All right. I, I still love you, but 
you deserve she deserved but the character deserved better than that the character deserved to have a full life even if it was behind those bars she de- why didn't they knock off one of them skinhead bitches <laughs> Not or, one or of get rid of one of the other reoccurring you know inmates of the white characters i mean yeah, right seriously. i don't need morello that served <laughs> oh. You that, know, oh my god, Black Lives Matter trope that they needed to, if they were set on it, if they just had to do it, they could have killed Tasty. You know what I mean? Without, I, I mean, I love Tasty, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying they didn't need to end Poussey's. So much was, you know, so much was happening in Poussey's storyline that I think needed to still be told. I, I think that the interracial queer person of color, the black nerd, the awkward, all of that still needed to be told and they just cut that off. So yeah. if they had to, and I don't agree with it, I don't think they had to do it. I think someone that was beloved to everyone, as Karan said, that if they, if they had to kill someone that everybody loved, they could have done it with Tasty as well without well, Tasty was up for Tony so that wasn't going to happen but uh, I don't understand this idea that we have to always kill characters in order to have some kind of shock value in order for it to yeah. be compelling television like can't you think oh, of yeah. other storylines to go with rather than just killing off a character because ever since Game of Thrones jumped off I've noticed this trend now with all these shows trying to kill the that main everybody characters. Dies. Yeah, and it's just like a lot of people are jaded by that, and I think Game of Thrones is really causing that because every season a main character dies. But yeah. like I, I could go without seeing a character die just for shock value. It's okay. We're still gonna roll with you as viewers if you keep them alive or find another way to have an exit without killing them off. It just, it, it to me it seems like very lazy writing. Like, oh, okay, the guys at Game of Thrones are doing it, and they're getting really high ratings. Uh, the folks over at Walking Dead are doing it, and they're getting high ratings. Let's do it. Like, no, that's it doesn't work for every TV show. Yep. I took a break from Walking Dead for, like, a season because it, it really was making me depressed. And this sounds really weird. It really was making me depressed in that they kept killing off people that I'd grown to, like, to, to like love as characters. And I was just like, you know what? I feel like I'm in the apocalypse. Like I feel like I'm right there with them, and all my friends are dying, and I just need a I just need a minute to regroup. <laughs> or they don't kill the characters right away that you want dead. We had to wait six yeah. seasons for them to kill Bill. Shit, like <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a lot of this has to do with you know the fact that we're seeing a marginalized character get killed off, that we're not seeing fully developed characters among the inmates of color. We recently saw a tweet that went out and it featured the writers of Orange is the New Black in the writer's room, all wearing orange. And apparently orange is the new black (laughs) because all of them were white. And um, they got dragged on Twitter accordingly. So I, I wanted to know what your thoughts about the fact that there is literally no diversity in the writer's room for Orange is the New Black. Um, so it did give me some pause. I'm not going to lie. Um, I immediately, I think I tweeted this, I immediately flashed back to that joke um, that Allison, Allison Abdullah made about Black Cindy's Jewish name. Um, she took the name Tova. And um, I think the line was, 
I know your your name ain't no damn Tova. I no, I know black people name their kids some crazy ass names, but Tova ain't one of them unless the V is a five or some shit. And I remember thinking after I saw that picture, who the fuck wrote that? Because <laughs> I would like to have some words. Like I just I need to have a sit down real quick and figure out, you know, who told you that this was cool. Like I just so much of of the banter between the black people and it was just odd for me mm-hmm. coming from all white. Mm-hmm. It's writing. like where did they find all of that AAVE? Like where yeah. did you mine for that information? Is what I want to know. Yeah, I must got the same teachers as Iggy Azalea because some oh. of it, <laughs> some of it was a little believable. But so, and but, but then there were moments that it was really out of touch, like um, the scene yeah. where they're watching the movie The Wiz, and one of the skinhead girls calls them um, darkies. And I was like, what the fuck? Who says darky in 2016? Like, are we in a 1940s film noir movie? Like, what the hell, darkies? But I thought it was very interesting that not once did the skinheads refer to the black inmates by the N-word. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did notice that. I did. And I did. Called Pi- Nobody has called Piper a Becky yet, which mean, shows to me that they're not as in touch with black culture <laughs> as they could be. <laughs> like, there should be a discussion of lemonade amongst the black inmates, and that didn't happen. I don't understand. <laughs> as, as a Latina, I kind of got pissed. Like, the Latins never called Piper a gringa. And I was like, why are they not using this word? That's true. Use this word. That's what we call them sometimes because they call us names. So, I mean, it's a word. If you're going to use it, use it. They managed to put some weird um, anti-black Latina sentiments in there, but they didn't want to say gringa. That was weird for me. Like, I don't like how... I didn't particularly like how they tried to paint this whole, oh, people of color can be racist and prejudiced too, but they didn't, they, they made the, they made the hate group so like harmless and slapstick, but they managed to demonize everyone else. And I was just like, mm. yeah, that's so true. That, uh, how are you going to have a bunch of punk asses in a hate group? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> That's hate true. Gonna hate ball is gonna ball. And, do you hate or do you hate? <laughs> yeah, and then the leader, they even gave her this one moment of like trying to humanize her too. Yeah, when she's talking to her friends and they're like, well, some of them were some nice ladies, and then they give her this look, and I was just like, Mm-mm, not believable. Nope, none of that. But that's what that's why I said in the beginning, I felt like it was a parade of black and brown people for white people's amusement. This was their opportunity to use every racial epithet they could find. And then they eliminate the most, the most commonly used ones and still try to soften and humanize the racist. Isn't that the life we're living right now? We could have had a good life, but you want to settle for this? No, this is fantasy. Did I have to be assaulted? the same way I am in real life. Did I, did I, did I really need to do that? I don't, I don't think I, that needed to happen. If you're going to give me a skinhead, it better be American history X skinhead. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. you. I need you to commit. I need you to right. commit. I just, I didn't like how not scary they were. 
And I, I, that's they weird. They were nice skinheads. Yeah, I didn't Lovable like it. They, they made them like. They're so cute. Aw, yeah. they say darkies Aww, instead of niggers. Like they're and they hate the whiz. Yeah, one of them is like, it's like, oh, I don't read because they try to, like, they made them, like, ignorant and uneducated. I don't necessarily like that portrayal of, you know, white supremacists because a lot of them are very well read and use some of that to, you know, uplift their notions of racism. Like, some of them are... (laughs) Some of them think science backs them. You know what I mean? So I was just like, no, but I don't know. You ain't got what we're here. doing. But look at what we're doing. Like right in this moment, we are talking about the positive attributes of white supremacists. Oh. And that's exactly what they tried to do during the se- this season. Oh. It's find the positive attributes of racists. And I thought and it was ridiculous. Racist. Oh, and, and rapist. Yes. And rapist. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and rapist. Mm-hmm. But then the Dominicans are wrong and they're yes. these human, like, just un, like, they don't understand why the Dominicans are doing what they're doing. And we're the bad guys because now I liked it because it was like, I don't get representation, but then I hated it at the same time. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I did just. I didn't like the parallel of Dominicana pride versus um, white supremacy. I didn't, it wasn't there for me. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, yeah, like I know I I have quite a lot of um, Dominicana friends and I have Puerto Rican friends and like, I, I see the back and you know what I mean? I, with one group, I, I, I've heard, some of those insults you know what I mean but I just I think that they tried to equate that to white hatred and it no girl it wasn't this it's not the same like because at the end of the day they're still going it's still going to be Latina pride you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like it's still going to be I don't know I mean that's what happens when you have all white writers in your writer's room I just you you have these kinds of storylines and I really hope, and I had tweeted this out, that, you know, let it be a lesson that if you tweet an image of your writer's room and it's not diverse, you will be called on it. Yep. <laughs> so I, I really I, I really hope that next season that they get some more writers of color that can actually reflect and tell our stories through our own lens because it just, we encounter these kind of problems that we're discussing right now. So with that, do you have any plans to watch the next season? And, and what do you hope to see if you, in fact, plan to watch? Don't um, everybody jump in at once. <laughs> I'm still, to be quite honest, I can't answer that question yet. I'm I'm honestly not sure because it was really traumatic for me. So I feel like coming back will be like Pensatucky going back. To the- <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know if I can forgive them and see them as human yet. <laughs> um, but I just, I'd like to see better, just do better in general. Like I, I all of it, just yeah. ma- you can do, you can make all of these, all these characters that don't deserve it um, nuanced, but you can't nuance, give any nuance to the people of color. Mm-hmm. So just do that. And maybe, maybe that, 
maybe you can start by actually having people of color in your writing room. Maybe, maybe then you'll get more than just, you know, vernacular banter um, next season. Maybe we'll get more than that. Um, and I, I would like to see them bring in a character, a black character that, I mean, obviously we can't bring Poussey back, but I would like another character that doesn't fit the mold, I guess. That's all. The only reason I plan to watch the new season is because I do really like some of the other characters. I, you know, in in a perfect world, I'd like to see Piper go on and Alex can go with her. I, you know, I, I get that she was this Trojan horse to bring in stories of, um, and to bring in other women of uh, women of color in particular characters into a show that became uh, very popular very fast. But I just don't see the point of her being there anymore, to be perfectly honest. I think a lot of people are just kind of over her and over whatever story they could muster for her. So, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm very soft-hearted when it comes to, like, the other characters. Like, I want to see Daya, you know, I want to see Elena, you know, get, you know, uh, Daya's brothers and sisters and her baby back. Like, there's uh, there's these little things I want to see happen, I hope. I don't know. Yeah, because, you know, you turn around and the show does these things where, you know, it just disappoints you and you're kind of hurt because you want to see these characters thrive. And, you know, we didn't really get that this season. So, I don't know. I I, I will watch just because... I like everyone else, mostly everyone else that's on there. And I do want to see more backstory about, about the, the inmates who matter. I think I'm right there with um, Ashley. I, I, I have invested myself in the other good characters that there's, uh, there's more to boo. I, she, she's got a really big heart. She might be an asshole, but she's got a big heart. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, more, and I'm always going to love Red. Hell, I want to know what Frida did. Obviously, Frida killed somebody to get in there. There's yes. people that you Yeah. Yes. Frida was, can we say She's that killed Frida a few people. And, <laughs> yeah. Frida and, and Chang were the, the realest bitches in Litchfield. Yes. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, my God. They only got, like, two minutes. Yeah. What's so up with that? They marginalized Chang this season. And, uh, she was in there. She was in the shower getting her deep condition on for like the entire season. Basically, she was everything in those two minutes that she had with Piper. She called her thug life. I was like, yes, yes, but love that. There's that was a mic drop moment. There's, yeah, there were just so many characters that we we've come to love um, that we haven't gotten any. I mean, like honestly, Morello can go. I'm done with. Her. I'm saying, like, yeah. why didn't they kill her this season? That's what, you know what though, and, and it was money. I read in the thread. And it's not, hor- and it's a horrible thing to say. She said, but she would have liked to have seen. She said if they were gonna kill somebody, she. And the thread kind of threw me off, but I'm like, I kind of agree. And it was on Tumblr. It said if anyone was gonna get killed off, it should have been Morello, and it should have been suicide, which I hate saying. She said because of her, she's. They don't explore her mental health. They're never going to explore yeah. that. I mean, they did the mm-hmm. story, but I mean, like, really? And just, she's crazy. Like, she's nuts, but you send Lolly down to Max because she was actually helping someone not die. Like, I, I, there's so much wrong, but then I, 
there's so many other characters that we've become invested in that I want to see them and see their story and know because now I'm invested. In, we're all invested in Daya and Aleda. We want to see Aleda do better. We want to see. I, I want more of Gloria. I want her to get out mm-hmm. as yeah. soon as possible. And she was really Gloria became red for me this season. She was trying so hard to keep Daya on the right track, and now she's lost her hold. So I do want to go back and see exactly what's going to happen. Um, because now that Daya's lot, her mother's not there, and she, all she has is Gloria, and she's not listening, it's created this shift in Daya's character that I want to see how it ends. And I may only get two episodes in, and something goes wrong next season. I'm like, you know, fuck it. But I, I, I want to see them at least develop the characters that they have left. Um, and I hope, I pray they don't do anything with Tasty's character to take away a character we love or bring her down. Um, because we all love Tasty. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, they, after the first season, they made a lot of the women... Um, they brought them on full time as as full um full uh characters you know in the show regulars on the show and i thought that was great but they took away their stories and i'm not really encouraged to watch the next season i probably will but i slept through half of this season honestly i had to really like it was so boring just watching white people complain about being white but i um i I need to see the writer's room. I think, you know, I'm not going to be motivated or inspired to see a show until we prove Matt Damon wrong. Because everybody was up in arms about what he said about diversity in front of the camera and not behind it. But he wasn't lying. That's the way it is. And that's what needs to change. Show me a picture. Instagram your goddamn writer's room. Show me that. Show me that. Or get in touch with Jamie Broadness of Black Girl Nerds. We have plenty of writers for you to choose from. Um, I, I just, the stories are not authentic. They're not complete. They are being buried. They're being buried for the cause of amusement. They're being buried for the cause of people who mean nothing, do nothing, want nothing, have nothing to try to feel like they are something. And you have all of these all of this richness that you gave us good beginnings to, but no, no real endings. I felt like Pusey's life was a, was a good beginning. She had a solid beginning, but no ending there. There's nothing. I mean, girl, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't love none of them. I don't love any. I mean, okay. I love to, ta- I do love tasty. I do love tasty, but can we get away from the shucking and jiving with the black girl? That's what I'm group? saying. Like, why do they have to do the sassy black girl trope? And look, can they, I'm not can s- they just talk about stuff and yeah. things? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's the shucking and, I mean, even when they were in mourning, it was all about shucking and jiving. I, I don't want to see that anymore. These are women. They have lives. You've created this universe at Litchfield with a bunch of women with no goddamn lives. And that's not the truth. Right. Because... Oh, go ahead. Well, what I what I just wanted to say was that I'm okay with seeing that aspect of our community because there Mm -hmm. are many of us, and I'm I'm one of them. I mean, I have my moments where I'm sassy, so I don't want to erase that. 
but I just want to have some balance because we're not yeah. a monolith. Yeah. You know, we need and, balance. And, and that's my issue with them removing, um, killing, not removing, but killing off um, Pusey's character. She was at least giving some great balance of uh, different depictions of what um, black women are like. And, yeah. and and we don't have that anymore. Also, uh, we haven't mentioned Sophia. I mean, I know Sophia was pretty much in the shoe the whole freaking season. Yeah. But seeing women like Sophia, God, if they do anything with her, uh, yeah, I'm done. Like, don't, you know, I see even seeing her character, who I don't think is as sassy as the other black female inmates. But just even seeing her character is it's a breath of fresh air for so many people. And when you hear that term, you know, representation matters. It really does. You know, there's a contingent of people that watch the show because of characters like Pusey. And have only watched it because of her. Because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just like her. Or, you know, I have a family member or friend who's just like her. Like, I can identify with this character. And now that's gone. And and you've taken a, a huge chunk of the show away by doing that. And and before I wrap up, I want to address your point, Tora. Oh, I was going to say about... I was actually about to say about um, Bursette. Basically... Um, Laverne Costa's character, basically I was, I was so scared that they were going to kill off her character. Mm. Like, and it's horrible that I have to say that I'm, (laughs) that it's progress for them not to kill off the trans character. Like Mm. it's, it's, it's shameful that we have to say that, but I also do think that them putting her in the shoe for a while for so long was also in of the writing staff not knowing what to do with what her. What to do with her. Past oh, the, yeah. uh, past the <laughs> oh, everyone's trying to understand her as a trans woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Past the, because they can't keep doing the, everyone making fun of her and misgendering her. They can't keep doing that. That'll get boring. Um, so what do they do with her? And it, it's, it's going to be hard for them. They're going to actually have to to talk to people they're going to actually have to let trans people of color tell their stories they're actually going to have to listen to her i think um with what she wants to do with the character um so i i just hope that they do more like i hope it they evolve her character more than just the the tragedy of being trans like i hope she gets to be more than that um i'm not saying that being trans is you know what I mean? I'm, yeah, I'm saying yeah. that they always create like the sad, the sad story along with it. And that that's very real. I mean, the what what they have to struggle through. But um, one of my favorite movies this year was um, the movie with Maya. Um, crap, I can't remember the name right now. Um, well, now I can't remember it. Um, basically, um, it was this trans woman. It was Christmas. Has anybody else seen it? Now I'll never remember. but basically it was kind of joyful i mean Mm -hmm. it was it was their stories but it was also kind of a dark comedy are you talking about tangerine yes okay yes um yeah it was also kind of a comedy and you got to see them for more than just the uh they always do this trope where like somebody's crying in the bathroom is there you know removing their makeup and you know, it, it was more than that, and I'd love to see more than that yeah. with the trans character. Absolutely, so. absolutely. And and just for me, as far as the next season, I, I'm not, like, hard-pressed to see it. I won't be there on, you know, premiere night 
going to Netflix and firing it up. I'll wait for a while. I'll probably look to Twitter to see what they have to say about it. And if people are, you know, upset about it, then I probably won't even tune in. But again, Pusey was just such a huge part of the show for me. And for her to be gone, it just feels like they've taken out all of the flavor of the show. Um, so I, I don't feel very excited about this next season. So I, I hope to see that, like Tori, you mentioned a, a character that's like the equivalent of Pusey. I hope that they bring in another character because we, we need that. Like, we really need that. That's what makes these... Sh- and she was also, like, you know, the comic relief, you know? Yeah. So that's taken away. So I, I hope that they bring something, um, someone similar to Pusey next season. So thank you, ladies, so much for, for coming on and chatting about Orange is the New Black. Before we go, if you can just share your social media handles and where people can find you on the web, um, you can find me on Twitter at Black Magic, and that's spelled super weird. It's spelled <laughs> B-L-A-C-K-M-A-J-I-I-K because I'm extra. <laughs> and links to all my other stuff is on my um, Twitter profile. <laughs> oh, I'm Graveyard Sister on Twitter. Uh, through there, you can find uh, uh, blog posts at graveyardshiftsisters.com. Also, Tumblr posts. Everything's pretty much filtered through t- Twitter because I never leave the site. So. <laughs> Um, you can find me at Maria underscore Hisella and um, all my links to all of the stuff I write for BGN and also Georgia followers is up there. And you can find me everywhere online at Quranism and every Thursday night on 101 The Heat. And you can find me at Black Girl Nerds on Twitter or you can check me out on my personal handle at Jamie Broadnax. I do always follow back on that account. Thank you, ladies, so much. This was great. It, it was a good, healthy venting session, and I appreciate your, your feedback. It was very therapeutic. It was. I needed it. I needed it as well. You're getting those tears out of me, Kayla. I needed that. I needed that little cry. <laughs> I, I didn't want to. I was like, she's no. going to start, but then I had to think about it. And I was like, no, I don't want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> <It's fine. laughs>